0: Well, hey, good morning. good morning. What a beautiful day to worship our beautiful Savior, amen? amen? Why don't you go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew five seventeen through 20. That's going to be our text for today. And uh, while you're getting there, I want to talk to you about giving. Giving. You know, giving is at the very heart of the gospel. Uh, the gospel is the good news that God gave his one and only son, Uh, to die in our place, to pay the penalty for our sins, so that through faith in him, uh, we can be forgiven and we can have eternal life. I think John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And here's the truth that we've got to grab hold of, is that when we truly believe the gospel and are transformed by it, We become givers ourselves. God's given to us, and so in turn, we become givers. And I want to take uh, just a couple of minutes here this morning to talk to you about how you can give through Harmony Bible Church. And the first is next Sunday, we're going to uh, collect uh, non-perishable items at all of our campuses for our Cover ministry in Burlington and Fort Madison. We're at a place where we have an incredible need. Let me tell you why I have an incredible need. We have an incredible need because just this past week, we were able to pass out food to nearly 200 individuals, 200 And with each of those individuals, we have the opportunity to either pray, share the gospel, maybe to do both, to minister to them, not only physically, uh, but spiritually. And so uh, that's great, by the way, isn't it? 200 people, we can celebrate that. But, but, but here's the thing, when, when you pass out food to 200 people, that means you need more food to pass out to more people in the, uh, the weeks ahead. And so I just want to uh, ask all of you, next week, when, when you come, we're going to come together, uh, we're going to worship again, we're going to partake in communion. But as we do that, just to bring some items uh, to, to whatever campus you are a part of, uh, drop them off, and that will enable us to be able to continue uh, to meet not only physical needs, but spiritual needs amongst the most critically needy here uh, in Southeast Iowa and West Central Illinois. Uh, By the way, this is a great opportunity for us to be able to apply the message from from last week that we should be salt and light um, in our communities. And so let's do that together next week. Then uh, I want to also talk to you about financial giving. So last week I told you that we, we launched a new app. And with that new app, there is a new giving platform called Planning Center. And so, uh, if you currently give online, we, we are asking you as soon as possible to go and to transition your gift uh, over to Planning Center. And uh, we want you to do this because this is going to enable a more of the funds that you give to go directly to ministry and therefore make a deeper gospel impact. Now, uh, you, you maybe realize that one of the risks that we're taking in transitioning here is in losing some some givers. All right, but. I just want to, I really want to ask you, let's not allow that to happen. It is a little bit of work, but you can literally do it in, in like five minutes. And so let's make that transition uh, possible. Let's go have, uh, and head and make that happen uh, this week if we at all possibly can, all right? And I also want to take this opportunity uh, while we're talking about giving to talk to those of you who aren't currently giving to the Lord. Now, uh, if you're not a part of Harmony Bible Church, you're just kind of checking things out today, maybe visiting, trying to to figure things out here. What I'm going to talk about here is not for you. This is for those of you who you know that Harmony Bible Church is the local body that God has called you to be a part of. I just want to speak to you today, and I just want to tell you that the Lord, in having you be a part of this body, would also have you to give some of the resources that he has given uh, to you back to him through this church. And I realize that anytime we talk about this, we get a little bit uncomfortable, right? There's a big elephant in the room. But the reality is, is the Bible talks repeatedly about this issue, so we stand firmly on God's word. But but here's the, the reality: if if you're not giving to the Lord uh, through Harmony Bible Church, I just have to tell you, you are missing out, and you're missing out big time. How can I say that? Well, literally every week, and I mean that most of the time, multiple times a week, I get to hear stories about how God is working uh, and bringing people into the kingdom and ministering to them in incredible ways through the ministries and the people of Harmony Bible Church. In fact, just this past week, I heard one of the most incredible stories that I have heard in my 25 years of ministry, a story in which God used the, the people and the ministries of Harmony Bible Church first to save someone physically, like literally. Saved their life physically and, and then once that took place to share the gospel with them and to see them be saved spiritually alright so we can celebrate that right now here's the thing fun, fun fact All right, that was actually two Wednesdays ago at 10 o'clock and then this Wednesday at 10 o'clock there was someone else who placed their faith in Jesus Christ through the, the people and the ministry of Harmony Bible Church and so I can't wait to see what happens at 10 o'clock this Wednesday morning alright We can be praying about that and we can look forward to that. Now, here's the point in all of this, though. Uh, What I want you to get this morning is that when you give back to the Lord, you get to be a part of what he is doing. You get, you get to be a part of it. And so if you're not currently investing in God's work, I just want to encourage you really to do yourself a favor, all right, and to also be able to see the resources again that God has given you to make an eternal impact. And so if you aren't currently giving, I just want to ask you to consider beginning to give uh, today. Now with that said, let's pray, and then we're going to dive in here this morning. Father, uh, we thank you, Today for how generous you have been to us. How generous you have been to us in your son. And we we can so easily kind of get over that and and forget just the incredible generosity you have shown to us in him. Not to mention the generosity in giving us life and the resources you have given us and salvation, uh, your Holy Spirit to guide us. Your word that we get to study, your church And, Lord, so we just thank you so much today for your uh, giving nature to us. And we pray that, in turn, this will make us givers. It will make us givers in every way imaginable. And, Lord, we pray now as we open your word that your Holy Spirit will come. We pray that you will have mercy on us today, that you will enable us, give us hearts that, that want to hear and want to listen and we want to grab hold of what you have for us today. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit will be moving and will be working all across our campuses, those who are watching online, and then as word goes out uh, later this week. So I pray specifically now uh, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight so that I can communicate to your people today what you desire for them to hear, that we may all leave changed by it. For your sake, it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray, Amen. Okay, uh, today our text is a foundational passage on a foundational issue. The foundational issue of the Bible itself. Uh, I'll remind you yet again that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving us a portrait of discipleship. And, and today, Jesus is going to show us that a disciple is someone who takes the Bible seriously. I want you to think about it in these terms. The four Gospels reveal that Jesus took the Bible seriously. It's clear that the Bible wasn't marginal to Jesus, but rather central. Jesus knew the Bible, obeyed the Bible, lived by the Bible. In fact, I think it's fair to say, in the words of one commentator, Jesus had a lifelong love affair with the Bible. You know what that means regarding Jesus' followers? You know what that means for us? You know where I'm going here, right? If that was true for Jesus, then it should also be true for us. If Jesus loved the Bible, then his followers will love it too. They'll take the Bible just as seriously as Jesus did. So I want to ask you a question that I'm going to come back to at the end. Do you take the Bible seriously? Do you study it? Do you obey it? Do you seek to live by it? Do you love it? Is the Bible as central to your life as it was to Jesus', If not, I hope that's gonna to change today. I hope that through our time together this morning, you'll take the Bible seriously, maybe more seriously than you ever have before. So let's take a look at our passage now. Matthew chapter five and verse 17. Now remember who's talking here. Who's talking, by the way, in the Sermon of the Mount is Jesus, okay? Do not think, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to make two crucial opening observations about these verses. First, the law here refers not just to the Mosaic law or the Ten Commandments, but to the entire Old Testament, to the Bible that was available in Jesus' day. What's more, it's likely that when Jesus says these commandments in verse 19, he's referring to his own teaching and therefore broadly to the entire New Testament. So in a real sense, in this passage, Jesus is talking about the complete total Bible, both Old Testament and New. Second, the phrases I say to you in verse 18 and I tell you in verse 20 are Jesus' way of saying, this is very important. Jesus is gonna use this language repeatedly in the rest of chapter five. And he uses it twice in four verses here, showing us that he he means to highlight that what he's saying is especially important. In addition to that, the word truly in verse 18 is literally translated amen. And and you will note that that Jesus says this at the beginning of what he's saying, not at the end. So we we tack amen on at the end, right? That's where we, 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 we normally place it. And a lot of times we just kind of throw it in there because of what we do. But, but what Jesus is saying is that at the very beginning, hey, I want to get your attention. I want you to note that what I'm talking about is, is incredibly, incredibly important. Now, I get a lot of flack from you guys about saying it's really important too much. Okay, I get ridiculed about that. But I just want to tell I'm just following Jesus here, okay? And so, get off my back, will you? If you got a problem, yeah. Thank you. If you've got a problem, you can take it up with him. In all seriousness, though, we shouldn't miss that Jesus wants us to pay really close attention to what he's saying in these verses. And with that in mind, then, in these four four verses, Jesus reveals three truths about the Bible, and then he gives us two applications regarding how we should relate to the Bible. So three truths about the Bible— And then two applications about how we should relate to the Bible. That's the outline for today. Here's truth number one. The Bible is supernatural. The Bible is supernatural. In verse 18, Jesus says that the Bible outlasts heaven and earth. Or as he puts it later in Matthew, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, what does this mean? Think about this for a second. This means, it must mean, that the Bible is above nature. The Bible is greater than nature. The Bible is supernature. It's supernatural. The, The Bible doesn't come from man. It's not a product of man. The Bible comes from God, directly from God. And Jesus says that this is true for everything in the Bible. Every word and even every last letter. We know this because an iota, in verse 19, Jesus says, not an iota, not a dot will pass away. An iota is the smallest Greek letter, smallest letter of the Greek alphabet, and it uh, really applies to the smallest uh, smallest Hebrew letter as well. But it's the smallest Greek letter, and a dot is the smallest part of a letter that distinguishes two letters from one another. So think of our G and Q, or our C and our E, lowercase, the only thing that distinguishes those letters from each other is just the smallest stroke of a pen. And Jesus is saying that even the smallest stroke of a pen in God's work comes directly from God himself. Now, the theological term for this is verbal plenary inspiration. Verbal plenary inspiration. That's a mouthful. And by the way, I, I know when we use big theological terms. Some of your eyes roll back in your head. and You say, wake me up when it's over. But, but here, I want you to listen to me. I can make it really simple for you, and it's absolutely crucial for every single follower of Jesus to understand verbal plenary inspiration. I'm going to show you why, all right? So the word verbal means spoken. The word plenary means full or complete. And so verbal plenary inspiration means that God speaks every single word but all the words even the last letter comes directly from God himself it's God breathed out as paul writes in 2 timothy 3:16 all scripture is breathed out by God. So, that term inspiration, by the way, it might be a little confusing to you because today we, we use that, that term. Uh, it means a lot less than, than what it means in the Bible. We, we say inspiration we're like, oh, that song is so inspiring to me. Oh, I was inspired by that. I was inspired to, to do this or to say this or, or to uh, invite this girl to homecoming. You know, the guy, by the way, they, these young men have really upped their games today, have they not? With, with their homecoming, you know, invitations to the girls, asking them to go. You know what I'm talking about here? Never mind. Forget it, all right? That that's not that's inspiration, but it's not the kind of inspiration that we're talking about here. The kind of inspiration we're talking about here is where where God literally breathes speaks out the word so that the, the human authors write down exactly what he wants them to write down. Now, I just said by the way, Second Timothy 3:16, all scripture is God breathed. And I said Paul wrote that. So you might be asking, who actually does that come from? Are those Paul's words? Are those God's words? Well, Peter tells us it works like this. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the words of the Bible were written down by men, but they didn't come from men. They came from God. The Holy Spirit moved in the authors of Scripture in such a way that they wrote down exactly what God wanted them to. This book that you hold in your hand is not a product of man. Yes, men wrote it down, but they only wrote down what the Holy Spirit directed them to write down so that we can say and we should affirm that every single word and every last letter comes from God himself. Now, all that said, I realize that there are some difficult things in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Things we can have a really hard time with, things that can make us want to distance ourselves from it. Things like uh, apparent, the apparent condoning of things like genocide, and slavery, and racism, and polygamy, and the subjugation of women. And by the way, I say apparent because none of those are actually true, but, but it can seem that way to us. And, and, and so, we, we can look at the Old Testament in particular and we can say, I, I don't know that I can actually affirm that that is God's word. And, and by the way, th- this is what um, even some pastors are beginning to do in, in our day. Uh, just uh, in recent years, a very well-known pastor, a, a man that you would all know his name, said that we really need to unhitch ourselves from, from the Old Testament, that, that we don't really need to believe that the Old Testament is inspired. We really just need to go to Jesus as long as we believe in his death and resurrection, okay, and, and the New Testament. We've got it. Here's the problem, though. I have a real big problem with this, and I have a real big problem with it because Jesus didn't unhitch himself from the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus hitched himself to the Old Testament in the strongest possible ways. We can actually see this here in our passage. He says, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. I came to fulfill it. And What's more, we actually see that, that Jesus hitched himself to the Old Testament until his dying breath. As Jesus is hanging there on the cross, what's he doing? He's quoting the Old Testament. And so here's the point. Jesus believed the Bible was supernatural and so as his disciples we must believe this too. We can't say that we believe in Jesus but we don't believe in what he believed. Even though there may be parts that make us uncomfortable and there are parts that we don't understand, as disciples of Jesus we must believe like him that every word of the Bible comes from God not from man. So I just want to say this to you, I especially want to say this to you young people, okay? If you have come to believe that Jesus is the son of God who died and rose again for you and that you have given your life to him, part of that means, really a big part of that means that you are going to believe that this word is God's word and that it is then, truth number two, authoritative for your life. So let's move on to truth number two. Truth number two, the Bible is authoritative. It's supernatural and because it's supernatural, it is authoritative. This is not only implicit in verses 17 through 20, but it's also explicit. We can actually see the authority of the Bible in all four verses. Let me quickly walk you through them. In verse 17, Jesus says that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And part of the way that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament was by obeying it. In verse 18, Jesus says that the Bible is to be accomplished. That means it's to be obeyed. In verse 19, Jesus says that even the least of the Bible's commandments are to be taught and obeyed. And then in verse, nine, or verse 20, Jesus says that if we're going to enter the kingdom, our obedience has to be greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, given this, I want you to get this. It, it appears that the primary thing Jesus is telling us in this passage is that his disciples are to submit to the authority of the Bible. He wants us to give the Bible the final word in our lives. I want to point out again that this is what Jesus himself did. Jesus lived his entire life under the authority of God's word. For example, what did Jesus do when he was tempted by the devil? Tempted three times. What did he do each and every time? He quotes the Bible, he says, It is written. So so just think about the first temptation. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. Nothing to eat for 40 days. Satan comes and says, hey, why don't you turn these stones into bread? If you're really the son of God. And what did Jesus say? It is written. Where was it written? The Old Testament. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but what? By every word. There it is again. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, let's go to the end of Jesus' life. The night before he's crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is wrestling with going to the cross. So he goes to the Father and he says, Father, if it's your will, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, but if not, your will be done. And then Jesus, knowing God's will, how did he know God's will? Because it's laid out in the Old Testament. Jesus went to the cross. So I'm going to keep hammering on this. To be a Christian is to do what Christ did. And what Christ did more than anything was submit himself to the authority of the Bible. Now, I wanna talk to you about why I'm so, I'm getting worked up. Can you notice that here? I'm just getting started, by the way, okay? And I wanna tell you why. It's because I care about God's glory and I care about your good. When we as God's people submit to God's authority, it's then and only then that we are going to give him the honor he so richly deserves. And at the same time, we will only flourish when we obey the Bible, when we do things God's way, not ours. If you are going to flourish in your life, if you are going to be the person that God intends for you to be and that you want to be, you you must submit yourself to the supernatural authority of God's word. It will not happen any other way. Because if God's not your final authority, something else is going to be your final authority and that something else is going to royally screw up your life. Now, let me go a little bit further here, all right? And I wanna talk uh, to the younger generation for a second and then the older generation. I'll let you decide which one you're in, okay, as always. Younger people, there is nothing more important for you to affirm at this point in your life and going forward than the supernatural authority of God's word, that this is God's word, this is the fullness of God's word, that it is uh, inerrant, without error, it is inspired, it is his word, and it is to be your full and your final authority. Let me tell you why that is the case. Is because if you, in this generation, give this truth up, the supernatural authority of the Bible, in the next generation, you will give your faith up. If this church gives up on that truth, there will be no church in the next generation, in the coming generations. Here, here's, I can tell you this, okay? I do not know of hardly a single mainline church in all of Southeast Iowa and West Central Illinois that is not either dead or dying. Maybe one, maybe one. But for the most part, the large part, they're all dead and dying. You know why they're dead and dying? Because a generation ago, they gave up on the supernatural authority of God. They don't believe the Bible is God's word. They don't believe it's in there. They don't believe it's our final authority. And when you don't believe God's word is a final authority, culture, okay, or your flesh, or something else becomes your final authority, and then the faith goes out the window along with it. Now, Let me talk to the the older generation because uh, here's what I want you to know. I love you older generation people because I'm getting I'm getting there, okay? But I I love you, and and I so and you know what that means, right? (laughs) Something's coming, right? But here's what I want you to want you to hear. I know that you love what I just said. I I know that you, you you love it when I talk about that, but here's what I want you to hear. One of the things that makes it really challenging for the younger generation to affirm the supernatural authority of the word of God is that sometimes we in the older generation, we pick and choose what things we are going to give God authority in, the word of God authority in. So so when the Bible talks about sexuality, we love what the Bible has to say about sexuality. But then we tend to, or it can seem like we ignore what the Bible says about things like greed greed and what it says about racism, and what it says about ministering to the poor and the oppressed and the immigrant. And so when the younger generation sees us say, hey, we believe in the supernatural authority of the Bible and we should stand on the Bible, but we pick and choose the things which we are actually gonna submit to, That causes real, real issues and real, real problems. So here's what I'm saying, whether you are young or old or somewhere in the middle, this needs to be the final authority, not our opinions and our desires and our culture and our world. And we need to submit, and especially, I should say, in the things that make us uncomfortable. Because here's what I want to tell you. Uh, The Bible agrees with you in every place. You know who the final authority is? It's not the Bible, it's you. Do you know who God is? It's not actually the true God, it's you. If the Bible never makes you uncomfortable, that's a problem. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about here? You're like, oh no, I'm always comfortable with the Bible. Well, if you're always comfortable, then you're not reading the Bible right. Because the Bible is going to poke us in areas that we need to change, and poke us in areas that we need to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So, I'll get off of that. We'll move on now to truth number three. And that is the Bible is Christocentric. The Bible is Christocentric. In verse 17, Jesus says he didn't come to abolish. That means to cancel the Old Testament, but to fulfill it. The word fulfill uh, literally means to fill it full. So, So just read it backwards. Fulfill, fill it full. Jesus came to fill the Old Testament full. How did he do so? Well, in two ways. First, by explaining it fully. We're going to look at lots of examples of this in the weeks ahead. But as just one example, in verses 27 through 28, Jesus explains that God doesn't want us to just avoid the physical act of adultery, but also mental and emotional adultery. He he says that adultery isn't just about what you do uh, with your body, but also what you do with your mind and your hearts, all right? So, so uh, you say, well, I've never committed physical adultery. Jesus says, well, big deal, all right? What's going on in, in, in your heart? More on this next week, but for now, second, Jesus fills the Old Testament full by accomplishing it fully. So he explains it fully, but more significantly, he accomplishes it fully. You're gonna have to stick with me here, but it'll be well worth it if you do. Jesus fulfilled the moral demands of the Old Testament, think the Ten Commandments, by completely obeying it. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament messianic prophecies, all 300 plus of them, by the events of his life. And Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament sacrificial system, the offering of bulls and goats, for instance, by his death on the cross, where he made the once-for-all atonement for sin. So, Everything the Old Testament presses for, predicts, and points to is fulfilled by Jesus. Can I just say that again? Everything the Old Testament presses for, says this is what you need to do, okay, predicts this is what he is going to do, and points to this is what he did, is fulfilled by Jesus. This is why Paul can write in Romans ten four, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So I want you to get this because it, it will literally change your life if you do. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we're done with needing to be righteous on our own. Jesus puts an end to that by fulfilling the righteous demands of the law on our behalf. You don't have to be good any longer to go to heaven. Isn't that wonderful news? It's good news, why? Right? Because you're not good. I'm not good. You're not—none of us are good. Well, we don't have to be good. We don't have to be good because Jesus was good for us. Jesus paid it all on the cross. Jesus says, it is finished. What was he talking about? He fulfilled the law in our place. So now through faith in him, we don't have to fulfill it by ourselves on our own. And from a practical standpoint, this means the Bible is all about Jesus. Every passage, every chapter, every story is ultimately about him. Can I just say that again? The Bible is all about Jesus. It's not about you, it's about him. Every single part of it. How can I say this? Well, I can say it because of Luke 24. There Luke records that on the road to Emmaus, after his resurrection, Jesus is having a conversation uh, with uh, two of his disciples. They don't recognize and don't see that it's him. And Luke tells us this, that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, as a summary statement for the entire Old Testament, He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Here's what this means. It means that we have to read the Bible with Jesus' glasses. Whenever you're reading, studying the Bible, you have to put your Jesus' glasses on. He is the lens, so to speak, through which we must see, read, understand, and learn how to apply the Bible. If you don't do this, by the way, if you take your Jesus glasses off as you're reading something in the Bible, you will misunderstand it and you will misapply it every single time. You have to start with the text, and then go to Jesus, and went, once you understand what it's telling you about Jesus, then you can take that, and you can apply it to your life. Don't do a shortcut, because it'll get you in huge, huge trouble. Can I get you, just give an example here? I'm gonna get myself in trouble with the, I'm getting a lot of trouble today, I know. But Revelation, if you go to Revelation, you're trying to figure out all of these end times things, and timelines, and charts, and what does all this mean, and who's the Antichrist, and all that kind of stuff you're going to misunderstand, you're gonna misapply the revelation. Revelation, uh, it does talk about those things, but what's revelation about? Well, all you have to do is go to the very first verse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus. And when we don't see Jesus, we miss what it's about. And if you miss Jesus, what in the world are we doing, right? Because it's, what not isn't it, isn't it all about him anyway? And the Bible is ultimately about him. I could talk a lot more about that, but we need to move on. By the way, uh, like four years ago, we did a series where we went from the beginning of the Bible to the end. Remember that? The whole story seems like like an eternity ago. But if you want to learn what I'm talking about here, in that story, we just showed you throughout all the different parts of the Bible, how it points to him, how it's all about him. So you can go back and look at that. All right. On to the two applications. All right. The first application is this. How we relate to the Bible is serious business. Look at verse 19 again. Jesus says, therefore, and I want you to look at me here for a second because you got to understand what the therefore is before we read the next part. Jesus is saying, because the Bible is supernatural, authoritative, and all about me. Now let's read the rest of it. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, listen, uh, this is, I mean, like serious, serious business, okay? Again, Jesus is saying, because the Bible's supernatural, that means it's authoritative. And by the way, the Bible is all about me. And because that is the case, what you do with the Bible, how you treat the Bible is serious, serious business. And the meaning of this verse is simply this. The way we relate to the Bible reveals our relationship with God. The way you relate to the Bible reveals your relationship with God. If you treat the Bible lightly, that's what the word relaxes mean. Jesus is actually saying this reveals you aren't in the kingdom. I know on the surface, it looks like Jesus is saying there are different statuses in the kingdom, but Jesus normally talks in contrast, not in gradients, and that's the case here. To be called great means to be in the kingdom, and to be called least means not to be. So I can't put it any more plainly than this. If you treat the Bible lightly as if it doesn't matter, if it's not significant, then, then Jesus is literally saying here, that means that you are not a Christian, you are not a believer. But let me put it positively. Jesus is saying that those in his kingdom are those who take the Bible seriously. And so I have to ask you today, do you do so? Do you take the Bible seriously? Do you believe it? Do you obey it? Do you seek to conform your life to it? Do you love God's word? Out of a love for Jesus, do you love his word? Now, I don't want you to mishear me here, I'm walking a fine line. I'm not saying that taking the Bible seriously is what saves us. We are saved through faith in Jesus alone. Full stop, period. But, and this is a big but, if we really believe in Jesus, then we're going to believe what he believed and seek to live like he lived. In short, we're going to take the Bible seriously just like he did. And and, and here's, again, here, here's the, the big, big issue today. We, we, we seem to have gotten to the place where we think that we can call ourselves Christian, we can, we can follow Jesus and just have a little bit of him, right? Just follow him a little bit, just give him a little bit of our life. That ain't the way it works, right? I, you, you do not be fooled into thinking, okay, that, that, that you can take a little piece of Jesus and get into the kingdom and go merrily on your way. Jesus is not gonna have any of that and we're gonna see that in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. To follow him means to follow him in everything, and in every way, and it begins with taking his word seriously like he does. And with that said, here's the second application that goes right along with the first. And you've got to take these two together, okay? You've got to take these two together. Jesus goes on in verse 20 to tell us that relating to the Bible is ultimately a matter of the heart. So it's not just simply about obeying, okay? It's a matter of the heart. Look at verse 20 again. He says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I can't tell you how shocking of a statement this this would have been to Jesus' original audience, especially to his disciples, because the scribes and the Pharisees were the uber-righteous. They were the holy rollers. They were the goody-two-shoes. They were the epitome of morality. And yet, Jesus says that if you're going to get into the kingdom, your righteousness has to be greater than theirs. So so just think about this. These are the most righteous people out there. And Jesus says, you have to be more righteous if you're going to get into the kingdom. His disciples have to be going, how in the world is that possible? How in the world is that possible? Well, let me tell you. It's possible through an inside-out righteousness. An inside-out righteousness. Let me explain what I mean. The scribes and the Pharisees pursued an outside-in righteousness. They focused on outward obedience as a means to salvation. They believed that what they did made them right with God, and so they zealously and scrupulously followed the Bible. In fact, they added hundreds of other commands about just to make sure that they were covered. The Bible wasn't enough, so they just added a bunch more because they said, hey, we we do more and do more and do more, and that's actually what will make sure that we get into the kingdom. The problem, however, is that they completely ignored the heart. They thought that as long as they were good on the outside, it didn't really matter what they were like on the inside. That's why Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, meaning they looked good on the outside, but they were dead on the inside. Inside Inside-out righteousness, on the other hand, begins with a changed heart, a heart that's in love with God and alive and obeys God, not in order to be saved, but rather because it has been saved. So so here's how it works. I just put it this way. Um, an outside-in righteousness is one where you just focus on obedience, thinking that your obedience is what will save you, your, your, your good works, your deeds, how you, you follow what you think God would want you to do. That's outside-in righteousness, but it doesn't actually deal with With the heart because, have you learned this by the way? That rules can't change hearts. Rules cannot change hearts. And inside out righteousness on the other hand is a righteousness that begins with a changed heart that only God can give. He gives us a new heart and now because of what he has done for us, now because we are saved, we seek to live a righteous life. We seek to obey him, not in order to be saved, but because he has already saved us. Paul explains it like this in Romans 6 when he writes, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of Righteousness. So, so Paul is saying here that this inside-out righteousness begins with God setting us free from sin through the power of the Holy Spirit, through belief in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And when that happens, we are freed from sin, and now we have a heart, the desire to serve and love God. And so we pursue righteousness, not in order to be saved, but because we already have been. So here's The application. Do you have a changed heart? Do you have a changed heart? Do you have a heart that's alive? Do you have a heart that's in love with God? Do you have a heart that desires to obey his word? Not to be saved, but because you are, don't, don't take from today, I need to go study the Bible. Uh, I need to do that because if I don't, God's gonna get me, I need to do this. If I'm gonna be saved, am I gonna be a Christian? That's not the point, the point is, is do you have a heart that, that, that loves the word and wants to obey out of joy and thanksgiving and love for what God has done for you in Jesus? If not, I want to tell you where to go this morning. Do you know where I'm going to tell you where to go? It's where I've told you to go in every message that I've preached in this series What is the entire Sermon on the Mount meant to drive us back to? It's meant to drive us back to the first beatitude. It's meant to make us poor in spirit. And so today, friends, listen, if if you have a cold heart, if you have a dead heart, if you have a hard heart, if you have an ambivalent heart, what is the application? The application is to get on your knees and to raise your hands to heaven, outstretch them to God and say, God, I need you I need you to give me the kind of heart that I cannot have on my own. Some of you, by the way, you you need to do this for the first time. And and some of you uh, here in the room with me, one of the campuses online, you've been playing the Christian game your entire life. You, You go to church, maybe you serve, maybe you give, you call yourself a Christian, you have this veneer of Christianity, but you're dead on the inside. You look a little good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. And you need to be made alive. You need to, as Jesus talks about in John three sixteen or John 3, you need to be born again. You need new life in Christ. How do you get new life in Christ? Well, you simply stop trying to do life on your own. And you repent of your sins and you turn to faith in Jesus. And as you do that, God will give you a new heart. So I wanna invite you if, you, if you don't have that heart, to turn your eyes to Jesus, to ask him to save you, and he will today. Now, for the rest of us, many of us have a new heart, but that heart's not doing so good. Maybe it's a little cold. Maybe it's lukewarm. Maybe it's kind of ambivalent. We we don't study the word. Some of us don't even bring our Bibles to church. Some of us don't have a passion to obey it. Some of us are really struggling to allow it to have authority in some area of our life. If that, this is you, I just want to encourage you today, what you need is not a new heart, you need a renewed heart. You need what David talks about in Psalm 51 where he says, God, created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. But you know what? The application is the same. What do you need to do? You need to ask God to renew your heart, and seriously. In some ways, by the way, all of us need to do this, and we need to do it on a regular basis, because I talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago, our hearts tend to get wonky, right, and and off center, and so we regularly need to go before, by the way, this is why the gathering in the church is so important, this is why it's so important to center God's word, this is why communion is so important, because it's there that our heart gets directed to the Lord so that he can renew it and create a right spirit within us.